Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Hope you are doing well. We are joined today uh, by a new friend on the podcast. Her name is Ingrid Fatel Lee. She recently, uh, last year, released a book called Joyful, The Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness. That is the conversation we're having here in a nutshell. And so um, she said yes to come on the show today. Uh, My study into her work has been that she is one of us. Um, She is one that is uh, asking uh, the big questions of life and trying to figure out uh, how do we live lives of joy and happiness and purpose and so forth. So with that being said, Ingrid Fatel lee is joining us. Thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, for my little bumpy bio there that I gave you, when, when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, uh, where do you begin? I usually say that I am a designer and an author uh, who studies joy for a living. And in particular, I study the connection between our surroundings and our emotional well-being. Interesting, interesting. So um, we'll get into that. I wanted to chat a little bit about um, kind of this, the, the, the book, Joyful, The Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness. Why this book? Why now? What, what was the path that kind of led you to uh, bringing this conversation into the world? Well, this book is 10 years in the making for me. I, um, the idea for it first originated when I was at design school. And really, I wrote this book to resolve a paradox that was raised during a review. Um, and in design school, if any of your listeners have, have been in this experience, that might sound familiar. Um, but basically, you at the end of your first year of design school, um, many places you have to lay out everything that you made over the course of the year. And then a panel of professors looks at it and gives their pretty unvarnished feedback. And one of the professors on this panel said, uh, when he looked at my work, your work gives me a feeling of joy. And this was really strange to me because I had always thought of joy as this, you know, intangible feeling, this um, thing that we're supposed to find within us. Um, It's supposed to be, it's very elusive and it's certainly not connected to stuff. I think, you know, we grow up, we're trained not to be too materialistic. We're not supposed to focus too much on the things that are around us. And so the idea that these things that I had designed, and they were really ordinary things like a cup, a lamp, um, a set of stools, that these things could bring joy was really odd to me. And so I asked the panel of professors, I said, how? How do tangible things create intangible joy? And they couldn't answer that question. Um, For them, it was really intuitive. And that's how design often is. It's very intuitive. Um, You're just looking at uh, the, you know, you know, you sort of feel your way toward Mm -hmm. what you're creating. Um, but I wanted to understand the science of it. And so that launched me off on this quest, which has taken 10 years to try to understand what is the relationship between the physical world around us and this emotional world that we have within us. And how do these things in our surroundings influence us? And what I found is that actually there's a pretty substantial body of research that shows that our surroundings do have an influence on our well-being and on our emotions um, in lots of unconscious ways that we're not 
uh, we're usually not made aware of and that we can actually, if we become aware of them, we can use them to help cultivate some of the things that I know that you care so much about um, on your podcast, um, that we can use them to cultivate happier and healthier and more connected lives. Interesting. So it was like <clears throat> you make this cup, a lamp, a couple, I think you say stool, something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the statement is, the, these things bring me joy. And I, and I love how you kind of mentioned like it's, you wanted to study like the awareness of it. Like that was almost like a subconscious statement. Uh, but you wanted to figure out, well, what does that even mean? I mean, you, we, you know, joy, we can't fit it into an Excel spreadsheet, right? There's, there's something else happening here. Talk to me a bit about, um, just that study. I mean, the, the, the study down this path of where did you begin? I mean, when, when you kind of left, the moment of saying, here's some things I made, and some people said it brings me joy. Tell me the data, the research, what you found on this path. Right. So the first thing I did, I did two things simultaneously, actually. Um, one of the things that I did was to really try to understand what joy is. And from a scientific perspective, joy and happiness are different things. Um, and, uh, you know, psychologists classify happiness as um, a state of being. It's something that is measured over time. It's something we reflect on. Um, it's more, uh, it, it encompasses a lot of different factors. So if you want to know if you're happy, um, you're often thinking about, you know, what's going on at work, what's going on in your, um, in your relationships, um, and all these different areas of your life. And what's hard about happiness, I think, is that, you know, there are some parts of our lives that are up and other parts that are down. And so to try to understand in any given moment, if we're happy, you know, there's a lot of thinking actually required. Um, whereas joy is much more immediate. So we know we're in a moment of joy when we smile, when we laugh. Um, it's, it's one of these things that, you know, it moves through us. And, I think the power of that is that as a designer, it's impossible. I mean, to think about how we design happiness is very difficult, but to think about how we create more of these little, you know, transcendent moments of joy in everyday life, um, that feels like something that we can do um, because they are small, but really meaningful. And yeah, so, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that was the beginning. So understanding what joy actually is. And then, um, I started to ask people about the things and places that brought them joy, you know, to, to get tangible. And what I found is that there are some things, well, there are some things that are personal, right? Um, so for example, the, the wallpaper in my grandmother's kitchen, if I see that pattern anywhere out and about, I'll get so, you know, I'll have this moment of joy. It'll take me right back there. Um, whereas if you see that, um, it's, you'll maybe think, oh, that's a nice pattern, but you're not gonna, it's not gonna have the same effect. So there's personal things, but then there's also things that seem to cut across lines of age and gender and ethnicity. They're just, they cut across all cultures. And these are things like bubbles and balloons and hot air balloons, tree houses. Uh, many cultures all over the world build tree houses. Um, uh, you know, kites and rainbows and uh, rainbow sprinkles. So there are certain things that seem to bring joy wherever we find them. And that was really what I, you know, started to delve into. And what I noticed as I looked at these 
you know, these universal things that brought joy is that there were certain patterns among them, um, that there were certain sensorial patterns. Um, and in design, we often call the, these aesthetics. Um, so there are things like colors or textures or patterns or shapes, but really what they are is they're, they're ways of describing our sensory experience of the world. And so some of these patterns were things like bright color, pops of bright color. It's something you see at every festival around the world um, as a an expression of joy. Um, we see uh, round shapes, uh, especially in childhood, right? All of childhood is round. You have bubbles and balloons and balls and hula hoops and merry-go-rounds and Ferris wheels, and I could keep going. Um, but there's so many things that are, uh, are round that are joyful. Um, a sense of lightness or elevation, right? Those tree houses um, being up in the air um, or up off the ground, um, hot air balloons um, being, you know, up in the sky. Um, so things, clouds, you know, we love to sort of stare up at the clouds. So often things that float and fly um, or have a sense of elevation give us joy. Um, and so as I noticed these patterns, I began to research each one of them individually to try to understand why these, why we might be attracted to these things. What is it about them that gives us joy? And as I did that, what I discovered is that many of them do have a connection to our well-being. So for example, people working in more colorful work environments are more alert, confident, friendly, and joyful than people working in drab spaces. So there's something about brightness um, that, you know, gives, it not only makes us feel joy when we see it, but it actually brings out the best in us, um, especially in a work context. Um, and many of these different aesthetics of joy have similar, um, you know, they elicit similar kinds of uh, of behaviors. Another one that I love to talk about is um, harmony. Harmony is the aesthetic of order and um, a sense of symmetry and balance. And one of my favorite studies on this topic is a study done at the University of Chicago. And in this study, they had people look at either symmetrical environments or asymmetrical environments. And then they um, asked them to grade themselves on a math test they had taken and um, give themselves a score. And what they found is that people looking at asymmetrical environments, pictures of asymmetrical environments, those people um, were more likely to cheat on the on the test. Um, and they were more likely to cheat by an even greater amount. So not only did they cheat, but they gave themselves more extra points <laughs> than people who were looking at symmetrical environments. So something happens. These patterns seem to um, not only influence our emotions, but also our behavior. So how do you invite people uh, as they start having this conversation in, in their head about uh, the the joy vibe, and I'm just making up some words here. The 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 idea of joy in physical space, be it in the workplace or at home. I mean, I'm sure every day, you know, it's not like we can eat chocolate sprinkled donuts every day, and we can't go up in a hot air balloon every day. And you're probably not going to have hula hoops everywhere. But how how do you how do you kind of get people ankle deep into um, that awareness, that waking up to hey? The, the physical things around you, these things matter. And even though you may not be able to fit it all into uh, a, a mathematical equation, there are things happening within you uh, that just very well may be connected to your surroundings. Right. So I think the power for me of 
talking about it in terms of aesthetics as opposed to talking about it in terms of objects is you're exactly right, right? We're not going to put hula hoops everywhere, though it might be fun if we did. Um, and, you know, we don't necessarily want to, um, you know, we're not going to have rainbow sprinkles on every, put them on our on our breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if we understand that what is appealing about sprinkles? Well, the thing that is causing the joy is a sense of abundance. And what that sense of abundance is speaking to is our craving for sensations, that we're sensorial creatures and we love to have our senses stimulated. Then we can look at other ways of doing that. And so maybe the way to do that is um, by having a polka dotted cushion um, on your chair at work and and you know, bringing that into the space. I think there are often very little things that can be done. And I think one of the best ways to start to raise awareness around it is to think about, you know, where are the places that you find the most joy? And often they're places you've been on vacation. They're places um, that, you know, are, are very lively or have, you know, or are out in nature. Um, and, you know, if you take the time to write those down and then you look at, you know, how to what extent does your home or your workplace fit on that list? And for a lot of people, you know, when I do this exercise in workshops, I say, I ask people, they do their list of places that bring them joy. And then, um, I ask show of hands, how many did you have, have you had your home or part of your home on there? And how many of you had your work or, I mean, almost no one has their work and very few people usually have their home. Um, because, I think we've been trained to see our homes as a way to express our identity and ourselves, and we're not thinking about what really feels good. Mm. And so often we're designing our homes based on, you know, the standards of taste that are in magazines or, you know, and we don't necessarily, um, or we feel like it's self-indulgent to invest in our home. It's wasteful. Um, and, and we can't, um, you know, take the time to make it a really joyful place. Um, and so, you know, and then with work, a lot of times we don't have control over that space and workplaces are often designed for efficiency, not for joy. And so if I think just starting to understand that these things can affect our well-being, and there isn't, you know, we don't have to, it's not a lot that we have to do. I mean, adding one plant to your desktop at work or having a colorful coffee mug. I mean, these are really little things, but they do have a dramatic effect on the space around them. Yeah, there's no doubt. If there's a beautiful double-stemmed orchid in the center of my living room, I'm just in a better mood. <laughs> um, right. I'm just in a, uh, there's something about it that centers in that space. Um, and for me, yeah, it, it always speaks um, something. So, wow. I'm glad to know that there's even science here. Um, one, I, I loved one of these things in some of your work, you cited a story or some research basically on light and its connection to our well-being. And I think it was that, uh, some of the subjects faced East and some of the subjects faced West. I, and I just, I wanted to hear you share this research because I thought, I thought it was unbelievable, um, at, at kind of, what it just may mean for us in terms of um, the availability and the presence of light in our lives. Right. So I think light is one of the, the things that light, um, like bright color, fits in what I call the energy aesthetic. And um, it really does bring us to life. And the the story that you're talking about um, was um, observed by a psychiatrist um, in Milan uh, named Benedetti. And um, he 
and his colleagues worked at work at a mental institution in um, in Milan. And what they noticed was that by patients with bipolar disorder who checked into the facility, who had east-facing rooms, left, um, I think it was an average of three days sooner, I mean, significantly sooner than those with west-facing rooms um, when they had inpatient stays. And what they attribute that to is morning light. The exposure of light, because that's a, pretty much the only difference between these rooms, is that some have light in the mornings coming in because of they're on the east, and some have it coming in in the afternoon because of the west. And, you know, now I think awareness is growing about the influence of light on well-being. We know that light synchronizes our circadian rhythms, um, that it helps to regulate um, our serotonin levels, that it regulates our immune function, um, that there are many different physiological processes that are synchronized um, by the the presence of light, which in turn synchronizes the circadian rhythm. And so when we are without, you know, when we um, spend all our days indoors, uh, especially in dimly lit environments, we do not get adequate light to help um, synchronize this cycle. And that can leave us feeling um, groggy in the morning and drowsy and not you know, alert or energetic in the mornings. Um, it can also leave us, and in the afternoons, it can also leave us sleepless at night um, because the proper calibration of that cycle affects every point within that cycle. And so research shows that when workers have sunnier desks, they sleep better at night and they're more active during the day than they would be um, and then they are if they have, uh, you know, desks that are far away from the windows and they don't get enough light. And similarly, we can supplement some of this with um, artificial light. So in a, in a, in an in, uh, in a long-term care facility um, f- for patients suffering from Alzheimer's, um, researchers replaced light bulbs and they put in brighter light bulbs in this facility. And what they found is that um, symptoms of depression and cognitive decline among the the Alzheimer's patients um, decreased. Uh, so it seems like the simplest thing, right? Just a little bit of sunlight, but it actually is really important to our well-being. Interesting. Talk about this circadian rhythm, because I, I had to research that. I didn't even know. I didn't even know this was such a thing. Um, right. Go ahead. So, okay, so we're diurnal creatures, which means that we are um, tuned to the daylight. Um, you know, tuned, our ancestors tuned to the daylight. Yeah, we're tuned <laughs> to. We're daylight loving creatures. That's so, so if good. You, if you imagine our ancestors, I mean, many of our ans- uh, our ancestors um, going way, way back were nocturnal creatures. Most mammals are nocturnal um, and they forage by night and they forage mostly by smell. And um, and when we moved, you know, when a, a, the, the primates that were um, our ancestors, um, when they moved into the daylight niche, um, all of a sudden vision took on a much more, a much greater role in our lives um, because we moved into the daylight. And so being, um, you know, the earth uh, revolves on a 24-hour cycle. And so our bodies, um, I think biologically, we all have a natural cycle that's like slightly off from 24 hours. So they've done these studies where they put people into an underground space with no light and no clocks and people come out and their this this circadian rhythm this 24-hour rhythm is a little bit out of whack um, and sometimes it can get out of whack by days because um, you know all of our natural cycles are a little bit off and and what daylight does is it synchronizes that cycle and it does that um, you know one of the primary ways it does that is 
uh, through the hormone melatonin. Um, so melatonin, some some of you may be aware of it because you take it to help you sleep, and it's actually something naturally secreted by your body um, and naturally produced in your body. And what happens is when you um, when you see blue light rays, which are you know particularly abundant in the morning, it's uh, the morning light, morning daylight has a high composition of blue. Um, wavelengths that those blue wavelengths activate photoreceptors in our eyes that um, tamp down the production of melatonin so we get less sleepy and then as the day goes on melatonin starts to get produced that's what makes us drowsy and tells us it's time to go to sleep and so it turns out that this cycle is a lot more about just sleeping and waking up it actually controls many other biological processes that have to be you know synchronized to the light I mean even to the point where uh, you know there's research that suggests it, it affects um, DNA replication um, because you know there are certain processes that are supposed to happen at night out of exposure to daylight, and that it's safer for um, for that to happen, you know, in the dark. And so there's so many different processes, and scientists I think are just becoming aware every day of new things that are tied to this circadian rhythm. Well, uh, one of our uh, friends here at the podcast, um, a poet and author, Mark Nepo. Um, I asked him about his daily rituals, and the first thing he does every day is he opens the curtains. And, and he was very like, you know, I was like, hey, do you have any rhythms, any routines that you do every day? And he's like, oh, the first thing I do every day, I, I let the light in. And um, so I'm, I, I, that, that spoke to me, and then your data here of we are tuned to the daylight um, tells me that, uh, yeah, of course, of course he was on to something. This, uh, yeah. there's, there's something there. It's a really important thing to do. I would say I actually can't sleep with my shades completely closed. I need a crack in there so that there's some daylight. Otherwise, I f actually find it hard to wake up in the morning. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So um, before we wrap up here, and we don't need to go through all of these, but I, I, I thought some of these 10 aesthetics of joy were really, really interesting. Um, and it, can you kind of break down kind of what you were getting at and how you discovered these and kind of what they mean for us? Right. So I talked a little bit about those different patterns. So, um, each of the aesthetics is describes one of those patterns. So I talked a little bit about harmony and this idea of balance and symmetry and how it affects, um, you know, our, uh, that study about how it affects people's likelihood to cheat. But, the, you know, harmony can also affect us in really um, simple ways. Uh, so having a decluttering and tidying up your entryway, for example, um, can be a way to bring a sense of harmony into your home because, of course, it's the first place you, uh, in your entryway, Ways you're the first place you uh, enter every night, um, and the last place you you leave your home to go out into the world. And so, uh, so by you know creating a sense of harmony in that space, um, you sort of decrease friction, that feeling of friction in your life. Um, so that's one example. Uh, I talked about when we we're talking about light and bright color. That's um, the energy aesthetic, and that's all about ways to you know, use our surroundings to make us feel alert and, and energized. Um, other aesthetics, a really important one is the freedom aesthetic. Freedom is all about, you know, that kind of joy we feel when, um, you know, you see a big wide open meadow or you go to the beach and you just see open space and that joy that we find in open space and in natural elements. Um, there's a ton of research to show that, that, um, the joy we find in nature actually is really good for us, that it helps 
um, with our concentration and focus. It restores our attention. It decreases irritability. Um, so there are lots of different uh, things that result from, you know, having more exposure to plants and nature and natural sounds, things like birdsong. Um, so, so that's another uh, really significant one. And so some of them are really, you know, they're simple. They're about just sort of the physical things in our environment. Um, and then there are other things, um, other elements like other aesthetics like celebration, which has to do with the connections between people and um, what happens when we come together in a moment of joy and how things like um, rhythm, song, dance, those types of things, those are aesthetics too, right? Um, and those actually can help uh, change our behavior too. So for example, um, Apple and Sonos did a study, and of course we have to take it with somewhat of a grain of salt because it's sponsored by two people, two companies who really have a vested interest in getting us to want to listen to music. But what they did, they put video cameras in households. And what they found is that people sit closer together in a household. They sit closer to each other when there's music playing. So something happens, again, that changes our relationships to other people. So each of these aesthetics, again, as you said, there are 10 of them. Um, but they help under—they uh, help us understand how the world is influencing us, um, often in really unconscious ways. So, um, for for our listeners that I guess are, are listening to this and go, "This is interesting. I wonder, wonder how I can move ankle deep into this." How? What's the first step of like waking up, of awareness, of um, going, oh, maybe I should tidy up more. Uh, maybe I should bring some plants into the room. Maybe I should add some color. Maybe I should enjoy and celebrate more often. I mean, I think there's so, you come at this so many different ways that, that joy, it's almost like joy kind of slips in the back door and we don't even know it. Um, but how, how can we keep that back door open? How, how can you keep us awake and aware to, um, just getting a little clued in to the mystery that is joy and how we can get it more often in our lives. One of the practices that I like to suggest as a way of tuning into joy more frequently is something I call joy spotting. And the idea behind this is basically just going out into the world and noticing what brings you joy. You can do it on your commute. You can do it, you know, on an afternoon out with a friend or your family. You can do it at a cafe. I mean, there's really nowhere that you can't do it. You can even do it at home. And really what you're doing is you're just trying to reconnect that conscious awareness of, of that link between your senses and your emotions. So you're just trying to pay attention to what you notice um, in the world around you that gives you joy. And this practice is really powerful for a few reasons. One, it starts to tune you in to what aesthetics of joy are really resonating with you. Um, so, you know, I know some, I do workshops with this and Every time, you know, when we're actually getting into the design phase of starting to think about how do we bring these into our lives, and I ask people to pick, you know, no more than three of the 10 aesthetics to, to play with um, in terms of, you know, thinking about what they're going to bring into their homes. And almost all the time, people choose very different sets um, and combinations of aesthetics. So I think I really think of this like a palette. So if you notice yourself being really attracted to bright color, maybe that's a sign that that's something you want to bring into your home or to your work environment. Um, and as you become sensitized to which environments have color, which environments lack color, um, and and why is it that way? You know, why is it that we live in this you know very beige world, and how do we change that? Um, or if you find yourself really attracted to natural elements to plants. Um, there are ways to bring that into your space. So I think that 
practice of tuning in is really powerful. And the other thing I'll say is that research shows that when we notice joy in our surroundings, um, you know, when we experience little moments of joy, we actually get better at noticing more of it in our surroundings because there's a there's a part there's sort of a feedback loop. There's a part of our brains that says, oh, I just saw this great thing. Oh, I want to find more. And our and our field of focus widens um, and we take in more joyful things in our peripheral vision. Um, And so it, it can, I think, even though it seems like a very simple practice, it can be like the kickstart to a really good day yeah. um, by just doing this, you know, starting off your day with this or doing it on your way home from a tough day at work back to your family, for example, um, and using this as a way to transition and remind yourself that there's really joy all around us. Yeah, yeah. What you focus on expands. Yes. Um, yes. Beautiful. So for our listeners that have said, I'm interested, I want to learn more about this, um, where would you invite us to go find you and what you're doing online, get the book on Amazon. Where, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, so the book is available in um, hardcover, ebook, and audio wherever books are sold. Um, the uh, and again, it's called Joyful. Um, the, I have tools. Many of the 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 back of the book contains a toolkit um, to help you put this into practice. And the tools in that toolkit are available for free on my site, um, aestheticsofjoy.com/resources. That's where you'll find all those tools. And um, and I'm on Instagram at Aesthetics of Joy, and I'm really active there. So um, come chat with me there. Right on. Beautiful. Ingrid, thank you for coming on and uh, joining us today. Super grateful for you uh, and your good and necessary work you're doing in the world. If you, uh, if you put something else out, if you stay curious on this path, we'd love to get you on again and have another conversation. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Awesome. We'll talk soon. Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, And if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car, Uh, You allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more, uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid. Listen to the bluebirds sing and be love.